God's people at the time that the book of Malachi was written were asking the question, why? Why is it that we look around and see so many of your people, Lord, living as they please? We're your people. We look around and we see others who profess faith in you not practicing justice, not living out of a sense of grace toward people who are hurting, not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Why is it that we look around and see people who say that they have faith in you who aren't honoring the truth of Scripture, who aren't living holy lives, who aren't loving you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? It should not be this way. But God, you don't seem to care. Today we hear through the prophet Malachi, God says, I do care. I do care, and I have a plan to purify my people. So let's listen to a reading from Malachi as God says how He plans to change us and enable us to grow. Jim? The scripture this morning is from Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, open our hearts uh, enable us to listen to everything that you will speak to us today through the scriptures. This is where you show us things about you that we could never discover for ourselves. Make us hungry to know all that you will reveal to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Goober grape. It is a real thing. Maybe you've never heard of it. Look for it the next time you're in the grocery store, right? It's called 
Goober Grape. And at some point in history, somebody thought that would be a great name for a product. You know, it's, it's a way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? With, without having to open two jars. And uh, the great thing about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, of course, is that enables you to, uh, to combine the solid thing with the sweet thing. The solid thing, the, the peanuts packed with protein, something that will stick with you, something that will keep you from being hungry again just an hour after you eat the sandwich. And, um, and then somewhere along the way, uh, parents discovered that it's easier to get your kids to eat that protein-packed peanut butter if you sweeten it up a little bit. And so the classic peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now, please don't ever try to describe that to a British person. Jelly means jello. Nobody ever thought a peanut butter and jello sandwich would be a good thing. But a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is an awesome thing. Here are these two things that belong together. And uh, Gruber Grape is a way to remind you they belong together so much we're going to stick them both in one jar. Right? One knife, one lid, one sandwich. You get the solid, you get the sweet. These two things that are different, but they really belong together Once upon a time, I told another church of which I was the pastor that God was calling us to be a goober grape church. I'm saying it again today. And here's the reason why. We tend to keep a couple of things separate. There are some Christians who really love the solid truth and holiness. What the Bible says that we should believe about truth. How the Bible says we should live in terms of holiness. We love something solid purity of belief, purity in our personal moral life. Whatever God demands of us in terms of believing it, practicing it, we sign up for it. We love the solid. And then there are others who tend to gravitate more toward the sweet. They love justice. They love grace. We're people who who, who show compassion for hurting people. We want to show mercy toward needy people. And most of us, through my observation as a pastor, most of us gravitate in one of those directions. Even if in theory we'd say, well, you can't have a peanut butter jelly sandwich without both, duh. In theory we'd say that, but in practice, most of us tend to load up on one more than the other. If Trisha makes you a PBJ, it's going to be heavy on the PB. If I make it, like an eighth of an inch of peanut butter and a half inch of jelly. I'm not saying that's metaphorical for anything about our personalities or our theological beliefs, but the thing is, we don't make this sandwich the same way, and Christians are like that. Most of us tend to gravitate in one of these directions. Either I I really, I think Christianity is really about the solid, And yeah, you got to throw a little bit of the sweet in because it's in the Bible every once in a while too. Or no, the Christianity is really about the sweet, the grace and the justice. And yeah, we have to throw a bone to, to the direction of truth and holiness every once in a while. But really, it's about this. In Malachi, God shows up and he says, it has always been really about both. You have always needed all of this to be my people. Let's talk a little bit about Malachi's context. We are 
closing out our series of, of the Old Testament. We've, we've done one sermon from each book of the Old Testament over the past several years, and this is the last one. We've covered all of these prophetic books, starting with Isaiah and working your way through the book of Malachi. Several of these prophets uh, had things to say and, and wrote those things down about 800 years before Jesus came, a time when God's people were beginning to fracture into Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, but they were all still intact and all living in the land. Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, prophets during those days. Then, a, then things started to change. Those two kingdoms separated. The people of God split into two separate kingdoms, and the Assyrian Empire rose up and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and took ten and a half tribes of God's people into captivity. Jeremiah began to preach and to write in those days. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, writing either to the kingdom of Israel before it was conquered, calling for repentance, or to the kingdom of Judah, warning, what's happening in Israel now is going to happen among you if you don't begin to repent. And then now, Jeremiah gets special treatment here. Green is for uh, the prophets who are prophesying about uh, the 6th century B.C. This is when the Babylonian Empire arose, conquered Jerusalem, and took the kingdom of Judah captive and into slavery into Babylon. Jeremiah wrote over a long period of time. So, he, he kind of bridges two periods, Ezekiel, Daniel, written to people who had already been taken into exile, Obadiah, similarly. And, and then we come to Malachi's context. The exile is over. If you're reading Malachi for the first time, then uh, you probably, you're, you're, you had parents and grandparents who died in Babylon and you grew up as a slave in Babylon. And, and then, somehow miraculously, the Persian Empire overthrew the Babylonians, and the new Persian ruler said, I want you to go back to your land and rebuild your temple. And so, you've been back in Jerusalem now. You've seen the temple rebuilt. You've, you've heard the prophets Haggai and Zechariah calling for repentance but the call hasn't been answered. And so Malachi is raised up by God to renew one last call, one last word saying, I need my people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Coming back to the land hasn't been enough. Rebuilding the temple hasn't been enough. Rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem hasn't been enough. There is no king sitting on the throne. The line of David appears to have been destroyed. And my work of restoring my people won't be finished until an anointed ruler in the line of David comes. Don't give up hope. Keep hanging on. And this is why the people in, in Malachi's day would answer and say, yeah, why, God? Because it seems like you just don't care. We look around and see your, your people aren't waiting for the Messiah to come. They're just living however they please. 
And it doesn't seem to bother you because, well, and now we get to a feature of the book of Malachi. Malachi uses this pattern several times throughout this short book, a dialogue pattern where God makes a charge against his people. You have wearied the Lord with your words, and then the people plead not guilty. They say, show us how. We don't think we've done that. How have we wearied him? And then God presents the evidence. Well, here's how. You're saying, you look around and you see a bunch of people who claim to be God's people doing evil, and you've reached the conclusion that God is okay with that because God is not dealing with this in the way that you wish he would or in the timing that you wish he would. You've reached the conclusion that God basically doesn't care, and he delights just, in mu just as much in evildoers as in those who practice truth and holiness. And you keep asking, where is the God of justice? You thought God loved grace and justice. Where, where is he? If he cared, he would notice that his people are ignoring faithfulness to his word. They are not practicing truth and holiness. And if he cared, he would notice that we are ignoring justice. We are not living by grace. And God speaks. He speaks a message. And the first thing he says is, I'm coming. I'm coming to purify my people. Notice how he says this in chapter 3, verse 1. The first thing he says he's going to do is send a messenger ahead of him to prepare the way. That's how it was with ancient kings. The king didn't just show up. The king needs to know that the way to the city is safe, that there's no place for enemies to hide, assassins, that there's no, uh, you know, huge pothole in the road that's going to overturn the royal chariot. Go before me, prepare the way, let everybody get ready for the coming of the king. So God says, I'm coming, and the first thing I'm going to do is send a messenger ahead of me. And then he says, then I, the Lord whom you seek, you're asking, where is the God of justice? You're looking for me? Well, I'm going to come, and I'm going to come suddenly to the temple. The word means unexpectedly, in a way that surprises you, in a way that you couldn't have anticipated. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I'm going to send a messenger to get you ready, and even though you're ready, you're still not going to be fully ready because I'm going to show up in a way that's unexpected. And then there's this third bit of the promise of his coming. I'm going to send a messenger. Then I, the Lord, will come. I will come to the temple. I will come to be with my people and show them my glory. And when I come, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming too. Now, there's a little ambiguity here. Is that two ways of describing the Lord? I'm coming to the temple, and I'm another way you could describe me as the messenger of the covenant, the one in whom you delight. Or is he describing two people? There's a messenger coming to prepare the way. He's done his work. And now I will come, and another messenger who's so closely identified with me that 
maybe you can't really tell if I'm talking about two people or one. Maybe that's part of how he shows up unexpectedly. I'm coming. What am I coming to do? I'm coming to purify my people. Verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. A refiner's fire. Someone who's trying to craft silver into something precious. That silver is mixed with impurities, often lead. So a furnace is made and the fire is heated intensely hot so that all those impurities rise to the surface and they can either be blown away with air or scraped off. And that process is repeated at least twice. Lots of heat applied to purify what is mixed with impurity. I'm going to do that to my people. And then he uses another metaphor like fuller's soap. Well, that's not a phrase we use every day, is it? Fuller's soap. A fuller was someone who in ancient times or in times before uh, pre-industrial times would take new cloth and remove as many of the stains from it as possible so that it could be dyed different colors. So, so particularly wool, right? Woven, it's got a lot of uh, various colors in it from either the, sh- the genetics of the sheep or uh, the kind of diet the sheep ate. And so great cloth, ready to be dyed a different color. Let's get it as white as we can. And so let's use soap, some pretty harsh chemicals. Let's soak this cloth in water, saturate it with soap, and then get a big stick and start beating the mess out of it. Or stick it in a vat and stomp it. Stomp, stomp, stomp. Why? To work the soap through every bit and every fiber of that cloth so that it can be, well, God's using a metaphor. I'm going to purify my people. I see it when my people don't love justice and grace. And I care and want to do something about it. I see it when my people aren't faithful to the truth of my word. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to purify my people. And he says, when I come, you're going to see how much I delight in faithfulness. Faithfulness to the scriptures. Listen to verses 3 and 4. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Who are the sons of Levi? They're the priests and the Levites who conduct worship in the temple according to what the Scriptures teach. God is saying one of the purposes of my purifying process is to get my people honoring me according to what I've said in my word. And to make sure that the leaders of my people are faithful to the scriptures. And if you're a peanut butter person, you're celebrating right now. You're like, oh, this sounds good. God really wants to refine and purify his people so that we will study the scriptures. And so that we will do what they say because we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then we'll bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That's what verse 3 says. 
well, what does bringing an offering in righteousness to the Lord mean? It means, it means that when you come to the temple to worship your God, you're not doing it any old way you please. You're asking, God, how do you want us to worship you? How have you said in your word you want your, these offerings to be made? We will come to you in that way. And if you love truth and you love holiness, you're like, stick the knife in the jar one more time. Put some more peanut butter on. I love this. See also the mention of covenant back in verse 1. How do we live faithfully to the covenant that God has made with the people? Let's read the scriptures. Let's find out what he says about the covenant. Let's live faithfully. Uh, look at what it says uh, in verse 5 about God being a swift witness against sorcerers. Okay, this is the point at which you check out. And you're like, yeah, that's obviously for ancient people because the probability that one of us experiencing this worship service right now consulted a sorcerer this week is fairly low. The probability that we wondered whether our religion needs to be supplemented by another source because it's incomplete is very high. In the ancient world, the sorcerer was the religious leader you went to when you were afraid that your God wasn't enough to cover all the bases. So you go find a little bit of truth from another God, a little bit of truth from over here, a little bit of truth from over there. And God is saying, no, I want to purify my people so that, so that they're grasping the truth from the scriptures and they're not seeking to supplement it with other things. And then God says he'll be a swift witness against adulterers. And people who love truth and holiness in our personal conduct are going, yes, yes, Lord. Adultery is bad. It breaks down marriages when people are not faithful to one another as you have been faithful to us. Steve gave us a great reminder of that earlier. God is faithful. Bring on the peanut butter. Bring on this solid stuff. All this truth found in Scripture and practiced all of this holiness, we love it. Great, you should. God says, guess what else? When I come, you're asking where I've been. Where is this God of justice? I'm coming. And when I do, you'll see how much I delight in faithfulness. I delight when my people study the scriptures and then come together as a community to do things because they all share faith in me. And I love it when that shapes their conduct. But guess what? When I come, you're also going to see how much I love justice. At this point, the jelly people are like, hmm, sounds good. Please put more on my sandwich. Chapter 3, verse 5. We've already heard the, the concept of justice mentioned at the end of chapter 2. The people are asking, where is the God of justice? And then verse 5 says, well, here's your answer. I will draw near. You will, you will see where I am. I will be right there among you. I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers. We've already talked about that. But also against those who swear falsely. 
justice is not honored when we take the witness stand and say that someone deserves punishment when in fact they don't. Justice is not honored when the innocent are treated as though they were guilty or the guilty as though they were innocent. Justice is not honored when favoritism is shown in courts. Justice is not honored when people swear falsely in business practices, in legal contexts, or in personal relationships. Justice isn't honored when we say some of our neighbors are important enough that they deserve truth from us and others of our neighbors don't matter. So with them, we'll compromise the truth. I will be a swift witness against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages. Hired workers in this context were people who literally had no savings. If they were going to eat and their family was going to eat before the sunset that day, they had to get the money you owed them right now. God delights when His people show tenderness toward those whose resources are limited. God delights when people don't go to bed hungry. He, he delights when the gig worker gets a big tip and doesn't have to worry quite so much how they're going to feed their family the next day. God delights when his people share the resources that he has entrusted to us with others who don't have as many resources as we might at a given moment. God delights in justice. God goes on to say he'll be a swift witness against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who oppress women who are politically and economically marginalized. That's what it meant to be a widow in the ancient world, to be a bit outside the community, to be a bit um, off the grid in terms of where finances would come from. God delights when his people care for widows and orphans. He delights in that. God takes no pleasure when his people thrust aside the sojourner. This is the foreigner, the, the person who's passing through your land, who, who doesn't belong, so to speak, who's not part of your tribe. But God hates it when we look at someone who's not part of our tribe and say, we've got no obligation to care for you, sucker, pass on through. We've got a fast lane for you. Get in the fast lane and keep on moving until you get to the border. God delights when his people say, you know what, we used to be sojourners in the land of Egypt. And God cared for us then, and he cares for us now. And we will care for people who aren't part of our tribe. When God comes, he will show that he delights in a kind of religious faithfulness that involves studying the scriptures and doing what they teach including worshiping him the way he has said he wants to be worshiped. 
discovering that truth, believing it and practicing it. And God delights in justice and grace. And there are those of us who, who like we've got the jar of goober grape and we see the stripes of purple and the stripes of brown and we know that both of these belong on the sandwich but we're trying so hard to stick the knife in and somehow pull it off, pull it out with just one color on it. Like I, 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 I've, I've always been a Bible-believing Christian and all this talk about social justice, just I don't like it. So give me all that peanut butter and I'm gonna, I can't totally avoid the jelly, I'll admit it. So I'll permit some talk about justice and care for the poor and care for the needy in my church life, but don't go too far because I don't like that kind of sandwich. Give me all that peanut butter. And then there are others of us who are just trying to do the opposite, right? Like, I love that jelly. I, I, I hate all this talk about the Bible and Scripture. Um, I don't like religion. Religion is when people read a Scripture text and then they do stuff together with other people. I like spirituality. Spirituality is when you just do your own thing by yourself. And you can choose whether you want to use a scripture text or not. It's up to you. And you don't have to do it with other people. It can just be you. I don't like religion. God says, I love religion. I love it when people read a biblical text. And they do it as a community. And they hold each other accountable to practice this together. I don't like that stuff. I'm trying to get all that jelly, man. I, I'm a Christian because I love justice. I love care for the poor. I love all the things I read. And well, wait a minute. When I read this part of the Bible, it seems like they're all kind of swirled together. Exactly. God delights in all of this. And the truth is, none of us gets it right. Even those of us who are most compassionate, and we would say, yeah, I wear the label of social justice warrior proudly. Even we don't get justice right. And even those of us who love the concept of studying the scriptures and practicing holiness and doing everything that they require of us, even if we're a little slow to admit that they require of us a passion about justice, <laughs> even we don't get that right. So here is what God promises. When he comes, he's first going to come to purify us. Did you hear that? This is the good news here in the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to send a messenger. He'll prepare the way before me. Uh, by the way, that language is used of John the Baptist throughout the New Testament. John the Baptist is the one who came to prepare the way. And then the Lord showed up. And he showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. Someone so closely identified with him that uh, you sometimes couldn't tell if he and the Father were different or if they were the same. And everybody was shocked because nobody expected that. And Jesus came to begin the process of purification through his Holy Spirit. He is refining us. He is taking the peanut butter lovers in and, and he is driving jelly into our hearts. And he is taking the jelly lovers and he's saying, you gotta get some more peanut butter in there. The sweet and the solid 
You can't just exercise one muscle. I want you to grow in this love for biblical faithfulness, and that's going to challenge you and stretch you in the areas of justice and grace further than you want to be stretched. I'm going to give you more holiness and truth than you can stand. I'm going to give you more justice and grace than you can tolerate. And and I'm going to do that work and I'm going to make sure that my people are growing and I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit to do that. And I'm going to go to the cross to make sure that the process doesn't destroy you. I'm going to go to the cross to make sure that you'll be ready for the final coming. God says here, I'm coming first to purify my people. And then verse 5 says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. Only after I have purified you so that I know the judgment day won't destroy you. Then I will come in judgment. Do you hear the good news in that? God says, I'm going to send a messenger of the covenant, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to sit on the throne of David, to be the ruler, the leader God's people have always needed, to finish this process of restoration that return from exile and resettling in the land and rebuilding the temple and reconstructing the walls around Jerusalem. They were a beginning, but it's only when the king comes that the people are really purified. And I love you so much that I will purify you first and then come in judgment. Because if I came in judgment first, who could endure the day of my coming and who could stand when I appear? When you read the scriptures and what they say about Jesus enduring on the cross, ask yourself, could I endure that? Could I stand? Not not just the physical suffering. Not just the emotional suffering anguish that crucifixion was was designed to inflict but could I stand God turning his back on me so that I would have to call out my God my God why have you forsaken me why have you withdrawn all of your goodness from my life could you endure that God's answer is, no, you could not. And so he sent someone else to endure that for us. And he will come in judgment only after he has already provided the sacrifice. The one who can purify us so that we are spotless and blameless and so that we begin to love faithfulness to the scriptures we begin to love truth and holiness we begin to love justice and grace and we begin to love them not only with words but to practice them and do them even when it hurts us to do so even when it costs us to follow him he makes us ready to do that why because we delight in the messenger of the covenant Jesus the Messiah. We delight 
and the one who purifies us. We delight in the one who draws near so that we can stand when he comes again. If you ask someone if they're ready to go apart, go to a party, they will often say yes, and that sort of means I'm excited about it and I've uh, brushed my teeth. You know, I shaved, I tucked my shirt in or untucked it depending on, you know, how casual the party is. And uh, if I needed to curl my hair, I did it. And if I needed to put a little product in, I did that. And uh, if there was, you know, that zit over there, well, I took care of that. And I've done everything I can. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But if you ask an athlete, are you ready for the big race? Their answer is always going to be, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. If it's three months before the big race, I'm getting ready. I'm training. I'm watching what I eat. If it's one month before the big race, I'm still getting ready. If it's one day before the big race, I'm going through my pre-race routine. I'm getting ready. I'm always in a process of getting ready. What about five minutes before the gun goes off? I'm still in that process of getting ready. I'm tightening every sinew in my frame to be ready to pounce when the gun goes off. I am getting ready, and I will be getting ready until the gun sounds. Jesus is always getting us ready for his return. There will never be a moment when we say, mm, pure enough. Faithful enough, just enough, gracious enough. I love the scripture enough. I know the Bible well enough, I'm done. I'm holy enough, I'm going to stop now. I love people enough, I'm done, I'm ready. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength up to a point, and now I'm done, I'm ready. Jesus is always getting us ready. He's getting you ready to grow. He's getting me ready to grow. And he is never going to be finished getting us ready to grow and to change and to repent and to renew our commitment to God. He's never going to be finished sticking that knife in the jar and saying, I know you got a little bit of solid in your sweet, but let me get some more in there. I know you got a little sweet mixed up in all that solid, but... Let me keep working that out. He's always getting us ready. And when the big day comes, when he returns, we will be able to stand. We will be ready because he's always getting us ready. A people 100% committed to faithfulness to him, 100% committed to justice to our neighbor. That's his promise. Let's give thanks to him for that. Lord Jesus, keep getting us ready. Um, some of us are tired of hearing about justice because we were weaned on a version of Christianity that was heavy on truth and holiness and really had very little to say about justice. We were weaned on a version of Christianity that somehow managed to stick the knife into the Bible and, and not hit the passages like this that talk about justice. Others of us, we, we love that thought and we really don't want to hear anything else about 
a Bible. We don't want to hear anything else about religion, about needing to worship you the way you want. Worship is a waste of time. When can we really get to caring for needy people? Lord, show us yourself and get us ready to be bigger than we are today. Get us ready to have hearts that are fuller than our hearts are today. Get us ready to obey in ways that we never wanted to obey you before. We wait for you, and we are eager for you. You are the messenger of the covenant in whom we delight, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.